Amen. If you remain standing now as we read God's good word together, these words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, will you read aloud with me? After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard that he was at home. So many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Some people arrived, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. When they made an opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Some legal experts were sitting there muttering among themselves, Why does he speak this way? He's insulting God. Only the one God can forgive sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, we are in a new sermon series called God's Love in Action. This is our VBS sermon series that we do every year. Uh, Every year as we prepare for VBS, it's just a couple of weeks away, we prepare for this time when we gather over 200 children into this place and and we move out all the chairs, we have all the kids gather and sing worship and learn more about God. And and as we make preparations toward that end, we also learn alongside them. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be learning the same lessons that we're going to teach our children in a couple of weeks. We want to teach our children that we are constantly lifelong learners, right? That we have never arrived. We are never the the know-all, be-all of Christianity, that we are constantly learning, constantly seeking to better ourselves. And so what better way to show that than to learn alongside our children as we learn God's love and action. And so this is what we're going to teach our children, right? We're going to teach our children to care, to follow, and to share Jesus Christ. And so this week, we're going to be learning a little bit more about caring. But if, if we were being honest, it, it's kind of hard to care, right? I mean, if we, if we were just speaking openly, if we were speaking honestly, it's, it's a little difficult to care about everything, right? It's, it's just kind of hard to care. Now, there's a great story in the book of Genesis. Um, Adam and Eve's first children are named Cain and Abel, and, and Cain is a tiller of the ground, and Abel is a keeper of sheep, and he, he's a herdsman, and so they both off, give offerings to God, and, and God fa- favors Abel's offering, and, and Cain becomes jealous, as some brothers might, and he becomes so jealous that he actually kills Abel. He kills him, he takes him out into a field, and, and when he's not looking, he kills his own brother, And then he hides the body and he goes and he hides from God. But when God finds him, he asks him where his brother is. And and the way Cain responds, I think, is so perfect for humanity, right? We read about it in Genesis 4, verse 9. We read these words. That then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? And he said, I do not know. What? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Is is that my job? Is, Is this my responsibility should I care? Because to be honest, it's a little hard, right? It, it's hard to care. We've, we've become so desensitized now, right? We have, we have 24-hour news stations. We have 24-hour news stations that are just constantly broadcasting news, right? And, and if, when we turn that on, any given chance is that it's going to be bad news, right? Because bad news sells much better than good news, right? That, that you're more willing to be fearful. You're more willing to watch and to constantly be updated on what the bad news is. These 24-hour news cycles just become, make us desensitized to the news that we see all these bad things and we think there's nothing we can do. We, we think we shouldn't care. We, we become ingrained into this style, this life cycle of not caring. And it's, and it's hard. 
Um, a few years ago, when Melissa and I were uh, first married, we'd been married for about two years, um, we lived uh, just off campus of OCU, which is on 23rd Street in an apartment complex. And, and if you know that area of town, it's pretty diverse between socioeconomic styles. And so we met a lot of different people, and some of which you had to avoid, right? There are always those people who, who seem to be asking for money, and, and, and you always had that thing, right, that you, that you had to prepare a response for before they even got to you. Right? It was that kind of like look down and hold up your hand and, and say, you know, sorry, not today. Right? And then just keep on walking. Well, I had practiced that and I was really good at that. I, I was really, I could walk by the best of them. Right? And just, and just you know, sorry, not today and, and just keep walking. And, and, and one time it was an evening and Melissa and I were grocery shopping late at night before we had our daughter. We could do those kind of things. And, and we were walking out of Walmart with, with all of our groceries, right? Just a full basket, and it was starting to sprinkle, starting to rain, and, and I just wasn't looking forward. It was late at night, and, and it was raining, and I just wasn't looking forward to hauling all these groceries up two flights of stairs. And, and as we're walking out of Walmart, this guy is approaching us, right? This guy is approaching us, and I just know what's going to happen. I, I, I just know this guy's going to try to hassle us. It's raining. Listen, man, I, just, I really can't take it right now. And so as we were walking by, I, I did my rehearsed thing. And, and as we were pushing, I just held up my hand and said, you know, I'm sorry, man, not today, and, and just kept walking. And after we got a few steps past the man, Melissa was pulling on my shoulder and said, he needs a jump. He needs a jump. And I turned around, and I noticed that the man was holding jumper cables, and he, and he had a minivan just right behind him, right beside there on the curb. And the minivan was full of children. Three children and a wife were all sitting there with their groceries packed full of this minivan, and, and all they needed was a jump. And so I walked back to the man and just apologized over and over again. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't know. I, you know and, and, and so I went and hurried and got my car and brought it back around and, and pulled it up in front. Melissa was loading the groceries, and, and I pull up the hood and am trying to hold the flashlight for him while he's putting the jumper cables on. And the entire time, I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't ask me what I do. Right? I, I just hope that he doesn't. Oh, man, like just how awful I happen to be a pad. Like, just please don't, because we become ingrained to not care. We become ingrained to not care. It, it's so hard every time we see something and we just, our instinct is to, to not care. It's so difficult, friends. But I think it becomes much easier when we learn why we are called to care. For it's not in our name that we are called to care, but it is because of the name of Jesus that we are called to care. And so that's what we're going to be teaching our children in just a couple of weeks. We're going to be teaching them about, about caring and about how it is that, that we are called to care for one another. It's, it's not by any deed of our own, but it's actually the deed of Christ that he calls upon all of us. We read these words in the book of Galatians chapter 6. It says, carry each other's burdens so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important, then they aren't fooling themselves. Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. This is a calling upon all of us to help carry each other's burdens, right? To help carry each other's burdens because Christ asked us to do the same. That there are things that other people can't do alone. Do you see that? There are things that other people can't do alone. And, and as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are called to come alongside those people to help them carry those things. They simply can't carry alone those burdens. 
We should also note that there are also loads, and, and those are things that we are called to carry on our own. That there are things, there are responsibilities that are given to each of us. And, and, and those are more individual. Those are things that we have in our lives, our, our, our jobs. That there are things that are just given to us. But then there are burdens that we are called to share. Burdens that we are called to share in, in the face of tragedies, in the face of death. In, in the face of loss of jobs, in the face of, of, of a disaster. Those are burdens that we are called to share with one another. And so we will be doing that. We will be encouraging our children to care. To care, not in their own name, but in the name of Christ. Because that is what Jesus calls us to do, and that's what he calls good. That's what we learned in, in the book of Mark. The passage that we just read is an amazing story. I love this passage. Jesus came back to Capernaum. And, and this is a place that, after he left Nazareth, has, has come to call his hometown right in Capernaum. And he's there, and many believe that he was teaching in, in Peter's house. And, and these houses in these times weren't built for comfort, right? These are built for utility. These are built so that we can sleep in and not get rained on. And so these houses aren't that big, but they've gathered in this house, and there's such a crowd following Jesus that they've packed out this house. They've packed out this house, and, and all of the religious leaders are up front, up close to Jesus, and, and everybody else has kind of filed in the room and then out the door, and there are these four friends, these four friends that another is paralyzed and he's lying on a mat and they, they want to bring him to Jesus. They, they, they want to get him close and, and so as they go up, they realize that the crowd is too big. They simply can't get him through and so they climb the roof. And in these times, these roofs were mostly built, uh, the uh, houses were mostly built of rock and, and the roofs mostly of, of mud and thatch. And so they started to dig through the roof. And, and once they got a big enough hole, they, they lowered the man down on a mat. They lowered him down on a mat in front of Jesus. And, and when Jesus sees this, he sees the faith of the friends, right? The faith of the friends who were still on the roof. And he sees this paralyzed man lying there in front of him. And as he sees all of this happen, he says, son... Your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now this makes the religious leaders angry, right? Because they say, who is this that would forgive sins? That Don't they know that only God can do that? And, and the rest of the passage, we read through Mark 2, 1 through 7. And verse 8, it begins in this way, that when Jesus recognized what they were discussing, he said to them, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your bed and walk? But so you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus raised him up, and right away he picked up his mat, walked out in front of everybody. They were all amazed and praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Like this. Now I wonder if, if when they said those words, we've never seen anything like this. If, if one, they were talking about Jesus, surely they were talking about the one who could heal this man, right? Who could raise him up, who could make this paralyzed man walk. I wonder if they were talking about that, but not only that, I wonder if they were also speaking about the friends. We've never seen anything like these four friends who had so much care, so much love, so much compassion, right, that they would carry this man to the feet 
of Jesus. That they would do whatever it took to get this man to this place. We've never seen anything like that. That this is what we will teach our children to simply care. And not to care in our own name, but to care in the name of Christ. We're going to do this just a couple of ways. One of the ways is, is as you heard earlier, they're going to raise money for GATSA, the, the Greater Oklahoma Disability, uh, Disabled Sports Association. This is an awesome thing for our children to be able to do. They're going to raise $4,000. $4,000 is about $20 a child. And they're going to raise money for, for children who are disabled, who still want to play sports, who, who want to be in this way, but they, they don't have the equipment, they don't have the ability to do it on their own, that they need someone to care about them, friends. They need somebody to care enough, enough just to bring $20. Now, we might have the ability to give them sports equipment so that they might feel like a kid again. They may be able to, be able to play the sports they see all of their friends playing. That we're going to teach our children to care in this way. What a beautiful lesson it is to teach these children. Another thing we're going to do is we're going to ask them to brainstorm. What are some ways that you can care for others? Right? Just what are some simple things that you can do for other people that you can, that you can care for them? And then we're going to also ask them to brainstorm ways about in which they can be cared for. Because it takes great faith to care for another person. But it also takes great faith to be cared for. That both of those are so important that we all slide in that medium. We're all on that spectrum of, of between care and being cared for. And we brought a, a video just to illustrate a little bit of what that means. Let's watch this together. January 10th, 1962. We knew there was something wrong, but we did not know exactly what. <laughs> The doctor said, forget Rick, put him away, put him in an institution. He's going to be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. We cried a little bit. We talked and we said, no, we're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. We knew Rick was smart. We could tell by looking in his eyes. And when we talked to him, we, you know, he was paying attention to what we were saying. So we wanted to get a computer built so Rick could communicate with us. Everybody came to our house that night for Rick to say his first words. And everybody was betting, you know, what is the first words Rick is ever going to say? His mom saying, it's going to be, hi, mom. And me, the dad, saying, oh, it's going to be, hi, dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup. And the very first words Rick ever said was, go Bruins. The gun went off, and we went off with all the other runners, and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. And when we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears. So that was a very powerful message to me, that we finally found a sport that Rick could get involved in, just like everybody else. The feeling coming down the finish line at Leaky Drive, it, it's just an awesome experience. With the crowd there, all the excitement, the noise, and the announcers announcing all that, the adrenaline just gets flowing.
because he graduated from public high school. He's graduated from college. He's out there competing in road races and triathlons. He lives a happier life probably than 95% of the population. Rick would tell you that, uh, you know, if he, if he was physically able to do something, that he'd probably play basketball or football or hockey. But then he always says, no, the first thing he'd do is sit down, have me sit down in his wheelchair and he'd push me. You know, it really makes me feel good that, uh, that you know, he appreciates, you know, what I'm trying to do to help him out, and he'd do the same thing for me. Amen. It takes great faith to care for someone else. It takes incredible faith, a power that is greater than our own to care for somebody. And it takes a great faith to be cared for. That this is what we will teach our children. But I believe that there is also lessons for us to learn as well. Lessons as adults as we read this passage. I, I love the, this story because there's so many things in here to learn that what we read is that these four friends were carrying this paralyzed man, and, and surely this was not the first time that they met him, right? Surely there, there was much more to this relationship than, than just them bringing them to Jesus, right? That surely they had known this man for much longer, that they had called this man a friend, and that when it came time to help him and they heard that Jesus was in town, they, they didn't know what to do with him. Right? They, they didn't know what was going to happen, and so they picked him up, and they, they thought, well, well, we'll talk to Jesus, right? We'll, we'll just speak to him and see what he'll do. And, and, and they brought him to the house that Jesus was in, and it was packed out. There was a crowd that went out the door that surrounded the house, that there was such a crowd that they couldn't get to Jesus. And so what did they do? But they lowered him from a roof. They didn't even have an ability to speak to Jesus, but what did they do? They just put him at his feet. And I believe it was because they knew that the closer they could get this man to Jesus, the better. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what Jesus was going to say or what he was going to do, but they knew that if they could get him close to Jesus, if, if we can just get him near him, then surely something good will happen. Surely something better will, will be because this man got close to Jesus. That this is what those four friends believed because they cared, because they loved someone so much that they were willing to bring him close to Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man and he, and he doesn't get him up right away. Right? He doesn't heal him just immediately, but he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And, and, and when Jesus calls the man son, Right? When he calls him a child, Jesus is undoing the popular convention of that day. That at this time, they believed that because this man was paralyzed, he must have done something to offend God. Right? He must have done something, or his parents, or his family, or somebody long distant must have done something for this man to end up this way, that this man must be an offense to God. This man must be an offense to God, but when the man was lowered before the Son of God himself, when the man was lowered between, but before the Son of Man, that as he came there, he looked at him and he called him son, child, beloved. That he undid anything that had ever been done before. That he said, no, this man had done nothing wrong. That God loves 
this man. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Religious leaders look at him and say, who can do this? Who can forgive sin? But God himself. And Jesus proves that he is God. That that he is the one who is fully human and fully God. And he said, what would be easier? For me to forgive this man's sin or tell him to get up and walk? But so that you will believe, I will tell him both. Right? I will say, son, your sins are forgiven. Now get up. Take your mat and go home. Go home. What do you believe the man's first actions were? That after he got up, after he grabbed his mat, maybe he wrapped his arms around Jesus. Then he went forth and told everybody what had just happened. Right? Imagine living your life as this man. Imagine living as this paralyzed man, believing what you've been told your entire life. That you must be an offense to God that God must look at you in disgust because you are in this way, that God must be mad at you for some reason, for something that you've done that you can't remember, that that is the reason you are like this, and then to meet God face to face and to hear Him call you son, daughter, child. Your sins are forgiven. God's not mad at you. God loves you. God wants to be in relationship with you. Friends, that is good news. That is good news. And I believe that when that man got up, after he hugged Jesus, after he walked out of that room with mat in hand, that he went forth and told everyone. He went forth and told everyone That God loves you. And that God wants to be in relationship with you. I believe that with all of my heart. That that is what it means to care. Care just enough to get somebody close to Jesus. That I believe that there's so much for us to learn. That I believe that if there are those of us gathered here who, who are used to being cared for, right? There are those of us who, who really do just enjoy being cared for. And I think that's perfectly right and perfectly good that we should feel that way. But I think if we feel that way and we read this scripture, then maybe we ought to care for another. Then maybe we ought to put ourselves in those shoes and, and maybe care for someone else. We read these words in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, that God's love is revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. That when we care for another person, when we love another person, it's it's not because of our care, it's not because of our love, but it's because of the love of God. That if we ever did it out of our own wants and needs, if we ever did it out of our own care, that would, that would have a stop, that would have an end to it. But if we love with the love that God has for us, it will never end. That others might see it in us and notice that there is something different about that kind of love that we share. That when we start caring for another person, that they might truly see, they might truly see that there is a love much deeper than our own. 
that it's in fact the love of God, the one who gave his own son as a atoning sacrifice for our lives. That if we are used to being cared for, then maybe we are called to care for another. But maybe you're a natural caregiver, right? Maybe you just love caring for other people over and over again, that you're always looking for somebody else to care for. And, and maybe that means that you ought to be cared for. Maybe you ought to allow someone else to care for your life, to care for your wants and your needs. Because what we find is that for some of us, it's much easier to care for another, that maybe that places us in a place of authority, that it feels much better to care for somebody else than it does to feel cared for. But what we see is that even Christ was cared for. That is, Jesus was, was tasked with carrying his own cross, right? After he'd been whipped and beaten by the Roman guards and the government officials that had been tortured, he was forced to carry his own cross. And that as he did this, he stumbled and he got to a point where he couldn't walk any further. And, and, and after he couldn't walk any further, the guards pulled a man out of the crowd and, and had him carry the cross for Jesus. That Jesus, the Son of God, even needed somebody to care for him. That we are called to seek that as well. That all of us are called to live in that spectrum of caregiver and care receiver. That none of us are on either end, but moving back and forth. Because care is important. It's important to care for another person. It, it, it's important to give those wants and those needs to another. But this is our calling. Not only as citizens, as people, but as Christians. As followers of Christ. That in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, after Cain has murdered his brother out of jealousy, out of hatred, and he hides his brother's body and he goes and hiding himself, thinking that he can hide from God. And the Lord finds him. And he calls him out and he says, where is your brother? Cain shrugs his shoulders. He says, I don't know him. Am I my brother's keeper? Now in Genesis, God doesn't answer the question. God doesn't answer the question, but in fact moves into the punishment of Cain. And, but I imagine that in those moments, in that conversation, there was a long silence. There was a long pause in which God looked into the eyes of Cain. He said, am I my brother's keeper? And, and, and a pause and a silence in this moment between them in which God conveyed the answer. Yes. Yes. You are your brother, your sisters, your family, your neighbor, the person who lives down the street. You are their keeper. So go forth and care for another person. Care, love someone so much that you're willing to bring them closer to Christ closer to Christ, that you might not know what happens, you, you might not know the outcome of the event, but that you might bring them close to Christ. I would invite you to think of that person, who that might be, that you might be able to bring them just closer to Christ, 
that you might be able to bring them maybe to worship on, on Friday or Sunday or maybe to VBS. Maybe you might invite their children or even themselves to volunteer. Or maybe it's a service event. You might, whatever it is, just invite them to get a little closer. Just nudge them a little bit forward that they might become closer to Christ because we know, friends, we know that simply getting close to Christ, that that is a good thing. Amen.